Let's pray together. Father, we're honored by your invitation to gather in your presence. And I pray that we will sense that presence and that we will honor you, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen. Guys, we're really glad you're here. It's possible that some of you guys aren't quite sure you're glad you're here. But we're glad you're here. We're glad that you guys are connecting with us online. I hope you do sense the presence of God in this place. Maybe you're just checking us out. And if you're just checking us out, I'm going to do what I can this morning to help you make up your mind. I'm going to start by giving you seven reasons not to become part of the Capital City family. Are you ready? Reasons not to join us. Number seven, this church is flat out full of a bunch of hypocrites. Did you know that? Believe it or not, there are people in here who say they believe in God and want to follow Jesus, but we have racists here and homophobes here and gossips here and Karens here. There are people here who have broken every one of the Ten Commandments and every one of the seven deadly sins. In fact, there are probably people in here that can sin every sin you've thought of. You want to hang out with people like us? He might fit right in. Number six, probably cost you money eventually. I mean, it seems like the preacher here is always talking about money somehow. He's always talking about giving your first part back to God, whatever that means, and they're always raising money for something, generous buckets and giving wall and feed the need and stuff like that. Number five, bottom line, if you keep on coming here, we're going to offend you eventually. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that somehow. We're going to say something you don't agree with. We're going to do something you don't like. It's inevitable. I get annoyed with Capital City all the time. Number four, Bunch of jerks on staff. I mean, really, except for Jessica, maybe, I don't know. But if you watch every one of the staff members, you're going to see them mess up. In fact, if you watch closely, you'll see them mess up a lot, except Jessica, maybe, I don't know. Number three, there's always going to be something in worship that's going to annoy you, right? You're not going to like all the music. You might not like how dark it is in the room or the lights on the stage or the fog, and there's always some kind of a tech issue. And bottom line, the preacher just talks too long, Right? Number two, yeah, thank you, I appreciate that, go away. Number two, church is too big. Actually, that doesn't hold anymore. We used to be too big, maybe we're a whole lot smaller than we used to be, and maybe that's a reason not to join Capital City because we're shrinking. Number one reason not to join Capital City, drum roll, preacher, all right? He's old, and even though he's really, really, really good looking, he's a jerk sometimes. Sometimes it looks like he's full of himself and he thinks he's funny even when he's not. And, and again, reiterate, he talks too long. A few years ago, there was a sweet little old lady named Brenda. She called the office and said, I'd like to join Capital City Christian Church. And I said, I am so sorry, honey, we're full. <laughs> there was this gasp on the other end of the line and then this silence. It was funny to me, eventually to her. What kind of a dork preacher would try to talk people out of joining his church? Jesus. He did a lot. And he wasn't trying to yank their chains. Seems like Jesus was always pushing people away. Someone would tell Jesus he wanted to follow him, and it's kind of like Jesus would, first thing he'd do is try to talk him out of it. I'm going to show you a series of incidents, three incidents. Here it is in the Gospel of Luke, starting with chapter 9, verse 57. 
They're walking along and someone says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Now, why would anybody say that? I'll follow you wherever you go. What is there about Jesus that this guy's going to say, I'm going to go with you wherever? I mean, if Jesus were to walk into this room right now, would you look at him and say, I will get up and go wherever you go, wherever? And if you said that, would you mean it? You'd think Jesus would be excited, honored, receptive at least. But here's what Jesus tells the guy. He says, foxes have dens to live in. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, me, I, Jesus says, I don't have any place to lay my head. That's weird, isn't it? This guy says to Jesus, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus' response is, doubt it. What did Jesus see in this guy that we don't? Next verse, Jesus says to another guy, come on, follow me. Come on, let's go. And the guy agrees. It's very agreeable. But he makes what seems like a very reasonable request. He says, I'm in, Jesus. But first, let me go return home and bury my dad. And if this wasn't a Jesus story, you'd be thinking to yourself, unless there's a life and death emergency, only a jerk would tell this guy no, right? Here's Jesus. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. You raise your eyebrows a bit and you said, I didn't think the kingdom of God had anything to do with dissing your parents. What's Jesus seeing in this guy that we don't see? What's he thinking that we don't get? At least we hope there's something we're missing because this is hard. One more. Another guy says, Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow you. But first, but first let me say goodbye to my family. What if Jesus told you, no, follow me now or never? If Jesus told you that, he's standing right here and he told you that, would you get up and just go? Would you follow him? Well, Jesus' answer to this guy is a wee bit cryptic. He says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Huh? Three in a row. People who seemed all primed to follow in Jesus is like, really? Which, at least in my mind, raises at least three questions. Question number one is this. What was there about Jesus that made people want to follow him? Why did it keep happening? Was it his winning personality, his words, his miracles, his claims, his demands, his promises? What is there about Jesus now that makes people think, I think I want to follow him? because he doesn't make it easy if you really listen. Question number two, why would he try to scare him off? It's kind of like Brenda telling me she wants to join the church, and I'm saying, are you sure you want to join Capital City? I can give you a whole lot of reasons why you really don't want to. Question number three, is it worth it to follow him, whatever the cost? Is it worth it for you to follow him, whatever the cost? Is it? I've got a great little book on my shelf called Jesus the Radical because Jesus was flat out radical. He was shockingly blunt sometimes. Not mean because it was his grace that kept pulling him back. But he was blunt. And it seems like whenever someone was just on the cusp of choosing to follow him, Jesus would actually kind of warn him off. Are you sure? 
You sure you want to follow me? Well, Jesus, that's kind of what we thought you were all about, collecting Jesus followers. Jesus had this uncanny, actually this godlike ability to listen right past our words and listen to our hearts. And he'd know that if there's some part of you inside there that's going to resist being a Jesus follower, and he'd challenge that peace. Bottom line, whatever's holding you back from going all in, and it's probably going to be different from the guy who's sitting next to you, but Jesus is going to know that, and he's going to go after that. See, Jesus always demanded to be first, which sounds utterly outrageous, kind of self-absorbed unless he really is like God. And I guess it's not outrageous for God to want to be God, especially if acknowledging God as God makes life way better in this world and infinitely better in the next. So it seems like Jesus would look right inside of a person and he'd know what their real gods are because we've all got them. And he says, are you willing to put me ahead of your job? Are you willing to put me ahead of your dreams? Are you willing to put me ahead of your kids, ahead of your money, ahead of your pleasure, ahead of your leisure, ahead of your safety? Whatever. And if Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, I guess that's a reasonable question, right? And if you really can make life way better, both for now and for forever, if Jesus really can deliver on his stunning promises, then putting him first would seem like a most reasonable request, wouldn't it? So, let's go back into these three stories and dig a little bit deeper. As we're walking along, it says, someone says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, well, foxes have dens to live in, birds of the air have nests, son of man has no place. Son of man just means I, I don't have any place to lay my head. So what's Jesus see that we don't see? What's he thinking that we're not, we're not getting? Well, if you think of the context, we talked a little bit about the context last week. Just days earlier, Jesus had turned to the crowd that was always following him, and he said, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to give up your own way. You're going to have to take up your cross every single day, and you're going to have to follow me, because if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it's going to be hard, really hard. And then just a few verses later, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It says resolutely because Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets there. He's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. And he looks at this guy and he says, you want to follow me? Are you sure you want to follow me? Not going to be safe, dude. Jesus following is not for wusses. Jesus says foxes have dens to live in. That's where a fox goes to be safe. That's where a fox goes for shelter, for security, for protection. There will be no foxholes if you follow me, says Jesus. Birds of the air have nests, and birds are going to try to find a spot to build their nest where it's safe, right? Someplace way high up or tucked into some niche, someplace where the predators can't find them or the predators can't get to them, and Jesus says, there aren't going to be any nests where I'm going. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, it's not going to be safe. So are you in? Are you? 
Guys, I don't want to be melodramatic, but I think our world is changing really fast. And I think that it's going to become less and less safe to be a Jesus follower. You may not agree. I think we're going to come under more and more attack. Already, the words of guys like Peter and Paul and John and James, the brother of Jesus, are under attack. Considered regressive, unenlightened, repressive, and even dangerous to people in our world in ever-increasing number. And they're saying that more and more loudly. Even the words of Jesus, which are sometimes just simply twisted to support their agenda or just blown off as regressive or irrelevant. I think following Jesus is going to become less safe. Do you believe that? Still in? Do you know that much of what we teach here at Capital City, preach here, as Jesus followers is already considered by many hate speech? By a growing number of people who are becoming more and more aggressive. Last week, Bob Russell, you guys know who Bob Russell was? Preacher at Southeast for 40 years, an amazing guy. One of the sweetest pastors that I know of, one of my heroes. Last week, Bob Russell was censored by Facebook. They pulled his post because it violated their community standards. Did you know that? I wanted to see what violated their community standards, so I went and found it. You could find it if you looked. And they wouldn't tell him exactly why he was canceled, but here are some of what he wrote. We pray for righteousness to prevail because it appears like the opposite is happening in our world today. The world seems to be spiraling downhill towards disaster, the breakdown of the family, the expansion of abortion rights, the curtailing of free speech, the increase in suicides, the proliferation of pornography, the corruption of our political leaders, the incivility of public discourse, the escalation of profanity, the absence of inspirational leadership, the racial unrest, the rise in poverty, the rioting in the streets, the denigration of our heroes, the ridicule of the Bible, the disharmony in the church, declining church attendance, the compromising of truth by spiritual leaders, and the list goes on and on, he says. Plus, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. It seems, he writes, as though evil, like a stage four malignancy, is absolutely consuming us. Are those dangerous words to you? Is there any truth of them to you? Foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests to retreat to, but following Jesus may not be safe. You in? And then Jesus says to Guy, number two, you follow me. And the guy says, all right, I'm in, but first let me go bury my dad. And Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury their own dead. You got work to do. Holy cow. Now, we've got a couple of options for understanding what Jesus is doing. One is harsh on steroids. The other one is just harsh. Option number one, Guy's dad had just died. Back then, they didn't wait when it came to funerals. They either tried to bury him the same day or the next day because they didn't have the technology to put it off. And every guy that was a Jewish guy had a sacred obligation to bury their dad. Even though a good Jew wasn't supposed to touch a dead body because it would defile him religiously. But you're honor bound to bury your dad. 
Meet a Nazarite who had made this vow that he's not going to touch anything that is dead for that year that he's a Nazarite. He was obligated to bury a parent. Even a priest, even the high priest would have been obligated. It's a sacred duty. So what Jesus tells this guy is in that world literally scandalous. What he says is scandalous. Because to Jesus' followers... Jesus says, there are some things that are more important than physical life and physical death and all of those kinds of rules. A great old teacher by the name of F.F. F. Bruce told the story about a Scottish preacher. This Scottish preacher was scheduled to speak at an evangelistic meeting that was scheduled well in advance and then his dad died and his funeral was scheduled on the same day. F.F. Bruce says it would have been entirely reasonable, understandable if the preacher had canceled the evangelistic meeting, but the old preacher said it was as if Jesus spoke to him. And he said to him, you're mine now. Go preach to these people. Because would you rather bury the dead or raise the dead? And the old preacher said, I want to preach. I don't think I could have done that. I think I'd have made the other call. But there is another option for understanding the dialogue between Jesus and this guy. It's a little softer. Jesus says, follow me, and the guy says, God, let me bury my dad first. But it's possible his dad wasn't quite dead yet. They'd say that kind of thing in this world. Got to take care of my parents first. Once my parents are gone, taken care of, then I'll be able to follow you, Jesus. And you've probably heard people say things like that. When my kids grow up and are out of the house, then I'll do what God is nudging me to do. Or when I'm financially stable, then I'll start giving God my first part or try to be a little bit more generous. When I retire and have resources, then I'll follow you, Jesus. When I'm done with school or when I have a little extra, when I finish with my me time, then Jesus is like, nah. There is no first let me do anything. Here it is. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now I know that's impossible. Jesus knew that's impossible. Physically, dead aren't very good with a shovel. So most teachers think Jesus actually means something like this. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go preach about the kingdom of God because that's our only hope. But even that's hard. But It means two things. It means that following Jesus must take priority over every other thing for a Jesus follower. Every other thing. No matter how important that thing is, we put God first. Jesus isn't telling us to diss our parents. He tells us to honor our parents over and over again. But we put God first over our parents, over our spouse, over our friends, over our jobs, over our causes, whatever. We have one God and no person and no thing dethrones him. And number two, it means don't wait. If it's the right thing to do to follow his nudge, do it now. Don't put it off. Don't negotiate a start date. Just get it done because he is God. 
Then there's guy number three, who's very similar to guy number two. This guy says, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but first let me say goodbye. Let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no. Because no one who puts his hand to a plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hmm. There's a story in the Old Testament about two prophets. One is named Elijah. The other one is named Elisha. Elijah's kind of like old Yoda. And Elisha's kind of like baby Yoda, right? He's going to be his successor. Anyway, God tells old Yoda to appoint young Yoda to follow him to be his successor. So Elijah goes out, finds Elisha in the field, and puts his cloak over his shoulders. Elisha says, first... I'll go, but first, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I'll follow you. And Elijah lets him go. But it wasn't just about kissing his mom and dad goodbye. He actually kills his oxen, and he butchers them, and he barbecues them, and he invites the whole village to the party. And then he follows Elijah. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, listen, following me is bigger than any of that stuff. If you're going to follow me, do it now. It's more important than kissing your parents goodbye. It's more important than the party. See, it may be that kissing mom and dad first was about more than just kissing mom and dad. Maybe he's kind of thinking like some of us. I will follow you, Jesus, but I've got some living to do first, right? Sometimes we actually think stupidly that following Jesus is not really living. Or to be more honest, maybe you're kind of like, I will follow you, Jesus, but I've got some sinning to do first. My preaching partner, Randy, put it like this. He says, a lot of people are like, I'm going to do Lent, God, but I've got to do Mardi Gras first, right? And Jesus is like, no, no. Because anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Have you guys ever tried to mow a really straight line? Have you ever tried to mow a really straight line while you're trying to constantly look backwards? How's that going to work out for you? Good luck. When I was in Oregon as a kid, I had a a job a couple of summers, moving irrigation pipe the old-fashioned way. We actually would lay a trunk line down the middle of the field, and we'd lay these branch lines down, and every day we'd have to pick up the branches and move them down the field a little bit. And my boss was weird. He wanted the line straight. You know how you lay a straight line with irrigation pipe? You don't look back. Put your eye on something out ahead and you point every single pipe straight towards that pipe. You keep focused on what's ahead again. And if you do that, the line stays straight. Probably something like that. If you keep looking back, if you're one of those Jesus followers who's got a squirrel. It's hard to know exactly what Jesus meant with his next words. NLT says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That, that's hard. NIV says no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. They may be in, but they're not going to be very useful. GNT kind of translates it similarly. It says anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use for the kingdom of God. You're not going to be very effective. I don't know. They're all solid translations. If you look at the Greek, it go either way. 
Bottom line, one of the books in my library put it like this. It says, the kingdom has no room for those who are looking back when they're called to go forward. Huh. Actually, I hope it does, and I suspect it does. But I don't want to test it. Well, here's where the rubber hits the road. Pretty much the same. Jesus looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, follow me. And what's really cool, what's really cool is Jesus says, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, follow me now. And he was serious about that. And Jesus came to this earth, Jesus went to the cross so he could make that invitation to you. And he even gave us a peek at where following him is going to take us, both in this world and in the next. And guys, I want to get where he's taken us. I hope you do too. And we make really lame excuses for not following him, for not following him yet. And I'm telling you guys, any reason that we will concoct for not following him is going to sound incredibly lame someday. Stuff like this, I hear you, Jesus, but I don't need a savior and I don't want a Lord. And all this talk about sin and grace, it's a little over the top, don't you think? Well, no, it's really not. And if you're ruthlessly honest with yourself, you know it's not. Or I'd like to follow you, Jesus, but my parents would disown me, my friends would mock me, my enemies would cancel me, because sometimes we care a whole lot about more about what people think of us than what God thinks, right? Sometimes people are more important to us than God is, and God sees right through that. Or we're like, but I've got some living to do first. Or if we're honest, I've got some sinning to do first, God. As if doing life with God, for God, God's way is inferior to doing life my way, for me. Really? Or I'd follow you, Jesus, but it requires so much faith. It requires that leap of faith. And I think Jesus would respond, I know. I know it does. But you know what? It takes a leap of faith not to, too. In fact, guys, I think it requires more faith to reject Jesus as Savior and Lord than it does to accept him. I don't think it's really about faith at all. I think it's about our willingness to bend our knee to God as our God. Bottom line, guys, God is no fool. He listens right past our words. He looks straight into our hearts. And in the end, any reason that we give for not following him is going to sound lame. Think about it. If there really is a creator God, and Jesus really is the son of God, who literally died in our place so we could be children of God, what excuse can we make to reject him as our Lord? If you really think there is such a thing as sin and God is the one who makes the rules about what sin is, and he does. If every one of us will admit we're sinners and we can't fix ourselves, and if there really is such a thing as grace, and we need it, a God who loves us anyway, who sent his son to take the punishment we deserve so we could be with him. And if we really believe that doing life with God, for God, God's way is genuinely superior to living life any other way, do you? And if there really is a heaven and a hell and God really did plant seeds of eternity inside every single one of us, if this life is only the prologue, 
which it is. What reason could we ever concoct to blow all of that off that isn't patently absurd? Listen, guys, it is no sacrifice, no sacrifice to give up what is little for something infinitely better. It is no sacrifice to give up what is comparatively little for that which is infinitely better. Does Jesus ask a lot of us? <laughs> yeah. He asks all we've got. Is it worth it? Are you kidding? So Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, anyone, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross every day, and let him follow me. Are you in? Are you in? See, that's really the question, isn't it? Now, maybe you haven't made that decision yet, but you can. You can that at any time. You know, God doesn't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done. You can be a Jesus follower today. You can start that path today. We believe it's an infinitely better path. And it may be that you have called Jesus your Savior, but you're struggling to make him your Lord, right? Because there are pieces of yourself that you're holding back because you think that somehow your life will be worse if you let go. Well, now's the time to just release it. Let God be God. Let him take over a piece of who you are. We think it makes life infinitely better in this world and infinitely better in the next. We're going to sing a song in just a minute, guys, and we'd love to talk to you. If you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, We'd love to chat with you. I'm going to be sitting right down here in the front row. And if you want to come and talk, we've got other staff that are close by. They'd love to talk to you. We should have an elder right now in the prayer room in the back. Been praying for you guys, and he'd love to talk with you. Let's get started down that path. If you just need prayer, if you just need to talk, come on down. I'm going to hang around here for a few minutes at the end of the service, and let's talk then. We're going to sing a song in just a second. And here's a couple of the words. Here I am, Jesus. You can have it all. For the one who gave me life, nothing is a sacrifice. I love that line. Use me how you want to, God. Have your throne inside my heart. Let's stand and sing.